Amber, it was your job to scream. Oh, sh- <laughs> darn. I'm filling in for Scott and I didn't hit it. That's right. I never Rewind, do it. No, over. absolutely. We've you upgraded from Scott to Amber. He probably won't listen to this, so he it's okay. I don't know. I have no idea. Amber is filling in today because we have a special guest, Clint Davis. You've heard us talk about his name probably a lot because Clint Davis Counseling is a partner with Simple Church, somebody we worked with a long time. And Clint, we're so excited to have you on. Man, I'm so glad to be here. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about Clint Davis, who you are, the person, and then talk about the business side. Oh, man, it's my least favorite thing is talking about myself. Um, <laughs> You're with a couple Enneagram 2s. We're going to get right. into this later. That's right. Um, yeah, so um, my name is Clint Davis. I'm a counselor here in Shreveport. Um, I'm from uh, Alexandria, Louisiana, and um, grew up just, um, you know, a couple hours from here and childhood kind of trauma and divorce. And when I was young, had some sexual abuse happen, kind of went into high school, joined the military. Um, second week of basic training was 9-11. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, my I was on the rifle range when the towers got hit, and uh, and then about two years later, I went to Hurricane Katrina and went to the Superdome for that. Hmm. And so I say all that to say that you know there's a lot of trauma in my life, and that culminated in a breakdown probably around 23, 22. Um, and so I got into counseling with a guy in Alexandria, and uh, it, it helped kind of st- stabilize some things. But then Katrina happened. When I came back from Katrina, it was the first time I really was in church and connected with people. And so that church, you know, loved on me and saw my drinking and saw my behavior and my coping and understood it and loved on me. And for the first time, really, I kind of met Jesus with people and was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is different. And I, you know, want this and I want to be better and do better. And, um, and so that was the shift. And so then I got into therapy more after Katrina. And then I was like, man, this is really helpful. I want to do this. You know, I'd always kind of been that personality. I'm a two, three on the Enneagram. So I want to help people. I want to love on people. I want people to feel loved. I want to validate them, you know, and then I'm a oldest and child of divorce. So I'm really good at picking up and, you know, modifying myself to how everybody's being. So everybody's okay. Hmm. I have a little sister that I've tried to take care of my whole life and just be responsible for in some ways. And so anyway, so the counseling thing just felt like, oh, this is the thing. So, but I didn't want to be necessarily a biblical counselor like I didn't at the time want to work with the church and be in the church I wanted I had been through trauma counseling and had trauma and I just never heard the church address that Mm. and so I was like you know that's separate than this I need to know some of this and then the other part was I wanted to work with lost people so I didn't want to just be have the bible and be like hey here's your answer um and through all that counseling I had started kind of making sense of the bible and and psychology in my own work um, and, and kind of going, well, this is kind of what Jesus says about this. And this is, you know, just very, very mildly. And so um, I, I was reading at the time, uh, Rob Bell's Velvet Elvis. Yep. Love it. Um, and that was a great book. You know, Rob Bell's went a, a different direction. <laughs> sure. This is the early stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Numas. We watched yeah, the Numas every Wednesday exactly. night. They were great. Absolutely. And uh, it was fantastic. And so it just opened my little conservative Southern Baptist brain to like more and grace and mercy in a way that I had never really heard it uh, through my, the lens of my own trauma. And so he, I looked where he went to school. He went to Fuller Theological Seminary. And I was like, okay. So I looked it up, and they had a master's in marriage and family therapy. Hmm. So I called Tom Moore at the time. I think that's who was the president of the LPC board here. And I said, you know, should I go to Fuller? And he said, it's basically the Harvard of MFT. Like, it's great if you can get in. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'll try to get in. Um, so I sent, you know, did all my stuff, and I got in and got accepted and uh, – moved to California from Louisiana. I think every single person in my life told me not to. My mentors, my pastor, (laughs) my mom and my dad, like my mom was pretty supportive, but, but everybody's like, you're never going to make any money. You're never going to be able to pay off your debt. You're, you know, that's too hard. It's too far. Why don't you just go to New Orleans seminary or DTS or, you know, Southwestern or something. And I was like, nah, I just 
felt God calling me to this idea of integration of making psychology and, and theology make sense. Hmm. And nowhere else was doing that, that I had read about. And so went to Fuller, um, and kind of, that's the, I mean, there's a lot more after that, but it came back to Shreveport because my wife got into a dietetics internship. And so we came back here knowing no one not being from here. And that was 12 years ago. Um, worked for a couple other practices, the, um, Methodist Children's Home, Samaritan Counseling, Wear Detention, in-home counseling, just, you know, working the kind of typical jobs that people tell you you have to have as a therapist. And through all of that, I kept saying, well, what about trauma? And what about the gospel? And how do we integrate these things in? And it didn't feel like anybody wanted to listen to me or was <laughs> doing that. Um, and so I started working with the Hub Urban Ministry as their director of recovery and writing programs for trafficking and for poverty and adding trauma therapy to the gospel side that they were doing. And me and Cassie worked hand in hand and trying to, you know, kind of go, okay, how do we merge these two worlds with that? And, and as we did that, I started doing that in my practice. And then it just kind of fit where they asked me to come on board as director of recovery. I quit my full-time job and I was like, my dream is just to have a practice, have people come to my office and it'd be this. And so Brent and I were talking and wrestled with what to name it. And he was like, look, man, we trust you. People trust you. Just put your name on it and people will trust it, you know, and they know what that means. And I said, okay, cool. So I named it Glenn Davis Counseling. And then very quickly, I had to add another therapist and another therapist, and, and it grew. You know, that was five years ago in March, and now we have uh, four locations, and I think there's 27 or 28 of us, counselors wow. and two doctors, a chiropractor, two dietitians, massage therapy, you know, partners that we work with that we refer that are in the network, essentially, under the umbrella. Um, and then we partner with probably 35, 40 churches that we, you know, get referrals from, send people to, see their staff. And uh, come in in crisis and help church staffs out. And then this last couple of years, you know, it's been kind of the speaking thing and the podcast and all that. So, yeah, no, that's incredible. That's an awesome. Yeah, it's a, a mouthful. Resume, yeah. Right? <laughs> it is a mouthful. You got it down, though. That's good. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. So, yeah, we've partnered with you for a while now. I'm not sure the exact amount of years, but what I love what you said was when you were growing up, you're a little bit older than me it was not talked about at all in church and it wasn't a part of the culture and simple church. I know from the beginning, Justin's heart has been, we're going to talk about this. Let's try yeah. to address it and figure it out. And I really see that as a trend, I think, which is healthy. I mm -hmm. think is great in the church. Yeah. The stats less than 7% of churches talk about mental health. Even now today. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so it's, if you think about how many there are, that's true. I mean, there's 490 in Treeport and Bossier, you know, like, dang, is that many? Yeah. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> Absolutely. But for us, and so like you talked about staff, we see him. I see somebody there. I see Ross. Love Ross. It's yeah. great. Shout out Ross to Ross. For a couple. Absolutely. And then my wife is gone. We've had Justin and Angie came on and talked about it a couple weeks ago on our podcast. Lenita was on the podcast. And so we are all up in Clint Davis County. That's right. We're a well, we appreciate it. We love it. We, we want to be uh, a practice that is involved in the community that didn't just sit in our office and expect you to send us people. We want you to trust us and see us and be able to talk to us and touch us and hug us and say, hey and you know do this kind of stuff together oh yeah i think it comes across i think definitely that's the, yeah it's awesome. working for somebody on the other side well, of it. all glory to god man he definitely uh, gets all the credit and I, i'll say that just for anybody that you know i'm not doing any of this stuff you know this is not i'm not special or unique um that I, I believe that i could die tomorrow in a car wreck and god would put something somebody in my position to do his will and his Clint stuff davis and, memorial counseling yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my wife's gonna listen and cry oh <laughs> no, but that's good. That's exactly right and very humble. But I do think there's something to you and being a leader and being one to do that. And yeah. Just from the outside looking in, it looks like y'all are doing a great job. And well, it looks thanks, like man. it's really making a difference. And we love seeing that. And I've referred a bunch of people. I was a youth pastor for 12 years and sending students over to y'all and worked with different people over there. And I just think it is so 
huge because as a youth pastor working with teenagers especially there is a difference i think and everybody agrees of kids growing up now than it was even oh, yeah. when i was in school 15 20 years ago it's insanely different yeah <laughs> but so the advent of the internet of smartphones of having the technology i remember i didn't get high speed internet until i was in college mm-hmm. we had dial up we had to actually physically plug it in the phone <laughs> right i'm 34 so it wasn't that long ago that's right and so you had this idea of talking about social media and technology with kids and we just kind of want to help on for parents today to be able to talk about that and do it. Amber is a mom of two girls that are down the road. How old are yours now? They are 11 and George will be 15 in just a few weeks. That's right. So you are all up in that world. in the thick of phone, social media, all that stuff. And that's why when Scott couldn't meet today, I was like, I know the perfect person that can come (laughs) because you're just going to sit. I need (laughs) need the wisdom. That's right. And talk and compare. So my girls are younger. They're six and three. We're not there yet, but we were joking because Nora, my six-year-old, last year was in kindergarten, had to call the office and she came home that day and she's like, have you seen the phone where you have to like push the buttons? Like this is so. <laughs> she had weird. never seen. We it. didn't have any landline phone. Yeah. She's only used our cell phone, and it's just one of these small answers over and over again. Of we assume our kids are like us; they grow up like us. Yeah. It's the things that we carry into how we coped, how we deal. But it's really a different world. And I'll start talking about this idea of digital natives. I think this is great because yeah. Jordan is a little bit younger than us. We've had some discussions. Our producers over here. Yep. They're the young person in the room. We're going to let you represent the differences because a digital native. Clint is a big deal and it's something that I think parents now millennial parents especially are starting to try to figure out yeah so I I like the term digital to use the term digital natives and especially when I'm talking to kids but parents you know always need to know how to talk to their kids so I hope that today what we can give is is a couple of things parents awareness of what's happening because they're they're what we call digital analog to digital converts Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So we were That'd analog. Amber, right. Yeah. And that's me, right. Right. I, I didn't have. We got pagers my senior year. Nice. You know, like that's what <laughs> that's what we can do. You Jordan, know, have like, you ever seen or used a pager? Yeah. Okay. How old are you, Jordan? Twenty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's a digital native, right? So it's you. A native is somebody that's there, that's born into it, that's from there, and that's you know they're growing up only knowing technology, right. only knowing smartphones, only knowing social media. Um, and I think as analog to digital converts, we don't know that. Like we, we forget that we have switched over. We have transitioned. We can still talk about it. What, what it was like. Pre. Pre. Yeah. So we call that an age gap. So in history, an age gap is like the, the, the gap in culture between you and your parent or your, your parent and you. And so the crazy thing is, is that the difference between me and my grandfather is about the same when it comes to social constructs. So what I mean by that is dating, traveling, um, how, you, how you called people, how you communicate with people in your city, your friends, what you did through school, how you dated, was very, very, very similar. We hmm. could call people on a phone, we could write a letter, you knew what one or two people were doing on the weekend. If that, when you went home for the weekend or you went home for the summer, you didn't know what anybody was doing except for your closest friends, like that was pretty much it. If you traveled somewhere, you had to have a map that you pulled out and looked. <laughs> if you sounds um, horrible, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like from from me, so let's say there's somebody 60 years older than me. Our our stories are kind of similar, right? But somebody just 20 years younger than me, it's like a 400 year gap, right? Mm. So as parents, so as parents of a digital natives. When we were kids, when I was a kid, my dad would say, oh, I know it's like the dater. I know it's like the this. And I'd be like, no, you don't. You don't remember what it's like to be a teenager. But he really was telling the truth. Like, he did do the same things I was doing and knew better. But now when we say to kids, like, oh, yes, I remember, we don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some authenticity that we can have as parents and adults in the church when we acknowledge 
hey, we have no clue what it's like to have social media at 15. We have no clue what the pressures are of knowing what everybody's doing on the weekend, you know, any of those things that they're dealing with. And I think this, even this weekend, I went and talked somewhere and the kids were coming up afterwards and, and they said, man, thank you for shooting us straight. And also thanks for like acting like we know what we're doing. Like all that mm-hmm. stuff that you talked about, we're dealing with and we just didn't know why. And you explained why. And uh, he said, so many people, the kids say, so many people tell us not to do it. And, right. you know, you shouldn't do this and put your phone down and get off social media. But they don't, they don't know they're on it. And then they don't even know why we should get off of it other than it's bad. Right. They can't explain <laughs> to us why it's bad or what the pros and cons are. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Did you watch The Social Dilemma? It was yeah. a documentary on Netflix. So I just found that fascinating because I watch it through the lens of I've always liked technology. I'm into this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, yeah, of course, if something's free, you're the product. <laughs> but that was so mind-blowing to people I was talking to. And you just take it for granted. You assume. And like Amber, we joke and pick with you a little bit. You're a little less tech savvy than I feel <laughs> like. <laughs> and you'll come in sometimes and you'll ask me something. I was like, doesn't everybody know this? But yeah. as a parent, you're busy you got other stuff going on you're trying to figure it out and it's not necessarily what you're interested in mm-hmm. so you don't know tiktok you don't know oh, yeah. or my or kids will take it the phone out of my hand here let me do that for you right me, i can do it so much. right yeah, they can do it so and much again faster. you're not that much older i mean you're just a little bit down the road and doing it it's not right. like you're this ancient <laughs> parent that's out right. of touch but it's just it's a lot it's a lot for parents to figure out and mm-hmm. as a youth pastor i just always found it fascinating i really liked it so i started as a youth pastor 2009 and I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't get one until 2010 when I got married. I bought my own first iPhone. My parents never bought me one. <laughs> yeah. I wanted one bad, though. And I remember, like, Good for them. no middle schoolers had... I did have a cell phone. It was black and white. Literally <laughs> didn't have color. Uh. <laughs> Still, but they cheaped out. Everybody else had a color phone. Yeah. But I remember as a student pastor <laughs> that there was nobody that had smartphones. And then a couple of the middle schoolers, because I did middle school ministry, started having smartphones. And it was a big deal. The one had it, and everybody else wanted to come around and look at it. And then by 2012, 13, pretty much everybody by sixth grade had a smartphone. Mm-hmm. And then by 2016, you were weird if you didn't. And then yep. by like 2018, it's just every kid had a smartphone by middle school. And they were starting to come in fourth, fifth grade with them. Yeah, that's what I want people to understand is that we're only seven to about 10 years into everything we're going to talk about today. Which in the scheme of the world is nothing. Minuscule. Yeah. Yeah. And so as hard as the stats and things I'm going to give today are to hear, we can, we still have a huge chance to turn this thing around. I say, I hope, I hope giving social media and cell phones to kids, um, is like cigarettes, Hmm. right? I mean, in the sixties and fifties, we smoked on planes. Like people walked around smoking <laughs> Don on planes, yeah. like right. literally, yeah, You're just walking around token and just walking, you know, doing their thing. And people were just everybody, the whole the whole plane, sixty people on it with no seats, like smoking. I hope that we look back sooner than that and um, and go, oh my gosh, what were we doing? Hmm. The but the problem is going to be like with cigarettes. The reason that we shift is because of dead children and because of dead adults mm-hmm. and because of the consequences of what we did. Right. And Take something dramatic. Yes. And so, you know, what we're seeing since 2010 is a 200% increase in self-harm in teenage girls and a 176% increase in suicide rate in teens, Mm. right? Mm. The eating disorder, the bulimia, the self-harm, all those things are astronomical. And there's only a couple of things that we can parallel it with in society. And that's technology, cell phone use, and, you know, social media. Again, I'm not anti-technology. I'm anti-kids not knowing how to use it or getting it too early without supervision. 
And I think that's a key point because I'll pick on Justin. He's not here. Justin's like, I don't want anything to do with it. I've never been on social media. I don't like it. I don't want any part of it. And I respect that in one sense. And he's very good and disciplined about like he puts his phone up when he goes home and he won't respond to text messages. Yeah, it's good. And it is. And it's something that maybe is another boss or somebody else. Somebody be like, oh, I can't do that. or It's weird or work, whatever. But he shuts down. It's frustrating sometimes to the people working with him. But I respect it. I get that. But at the same time, I don't know if we, that's the solution for everybody. If we just stick our head in the sand and say, well, we just don't do it so our kids can figure it out. Because somebody has to be the adult learning and working and being able to do it, but it's a balance, right? Of mm-hmm. how do you know and be able to interact and explain to them versus not get caught up in it yourself as the parent, right? Because I can be horrible about sitting on my phone and not being present with my kids and my family. Yep. I know that I can do that. And I know I have that tendency. Last night we were sitting reading a book and I had to go put my phone on the other side of the room because I was sitting there and I was so bored because we've read this book three times. Right. And I didn't want to. <laughs> three. Accelerator reader. You got to read it three times before you take the test. Oh, yeah, sure. That was just that night. Yeah, but right. yes. And so I was oh, like, you mean three times? And a row, yeah, yeah, back to back right. to back. She has to read it for that's schools, first hilarious. grade. And so I was like, I really get that the tiny the elephant is going to be the Easter bunny. I don't right, know how right. the story goes. But it's like, I can go and I can be on my phone and zone out or I can be present this moment. And I really did physically have to go put my phone away because I didn't want to be tempted to do it. Yeah. And so for me, I guess for this is what you can help with parents. These three lies you want to talk about and three things of doing for social media and how to help and do these things. Do you say as a parent, you should be in on social media? You should follow your kids. You should do these things and know what they're doing. Or is it like just nothing completely shut it down? Where is that as line? a parent? As a parent, so so as an adult, I, like I'll just say what I do, yeah. and I've learned my lesson. And I, I mean, please do your thing. You know, test it, search it. Don't just follow me. Yeah. Um, follow the Lord and t- do what He tells you to do. Because um, I think it's different for everybody. But for me, about two years ago, I decided, you know, because I was doing this and I was seeing the consequences that I didn't want to enable the same stuff that I was seeing. So. I, I started questioning why I post things hmm. and I started every time I went to post something, we took a break for Lent two years ago. And so when I came back out of it, I was like, okay, why am I posting these pictures of my kids? Like truly. Yeah. And the answer was I wanted people to see that my kids were cute <laughs> and think I'm a good dad yeah. and see that I'm doing a great job. It wasn't cause I wanted my parents to see it. I could have just texted them the picture. Right. Right. I don't, it wasn't cause this fourth person removed that I see every six months. Like I really care what they think. Hmm. Right. I didn't, I could have texted them the picture, but I would never do that because I don't really care. Right. But I do care if they like it and follow it and other people see that I got 15 likes. And that was just honest. You know, that was me. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that's where my brain goes. And so I found myself in the backyard uh, uh, during Lent. Uh, My kids would be doing something. I'd think I need to take a picture of this because I want to post it. Sure. And I was like, oh, like I was kind of disgusted with myself and I was praying every day and on my face and doing like just really asking God like to teach me. I'm leading these things. I'm talking about it like I got to practice what I'm preaching. Why am I doing this? So when I came back off of it, I just said like I'm only going to post stuff that's like Jesus or jujitsu related. So, you know, like jujitsu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So jujitsu is like my thing I love to do. It's self-care, but also like I support our uh, Louisiana Black Belt Academy and love like I'll share stuff about that just because it promotes, you know, that stuff. Um, but other than that, I haven't posted a picture of my kids. I don't think like I baptized my son over COVID and I wanted to post it so bad. And I was like, why would I do this? Like part of it's only going to shame other people or stress other people out about their kid or help them. You know, is it going to open the door to other people being like, well, my kid's five and a half. Should he be baptized? And, or, or we baptize it this time or, mm-hmm. you know, Clint's such a great parent and such a godly parent. He talked to his kid. You know what I mean? Like it mm-hmm. only felt like to people who don't know me 
that it was a humble brag. Was it glorifying to God to do that? And then the other part of me is like, well, it could encourage people, you know, that God is good and Jesus is good. I'm like, well, there's other ways for me to do that without self-promoting. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just decided the only time I was going to post anything was if it was glorifying to God in my heart and I believe that, or if it had something to do with the practice and, and hopefully that was representing like, Hey, look, this is what we're doing. This is where we're talking. These are how people are getting healed. And that's about the movement more than about me. And so that was kind of the stance, but it took, if I'm being honest, it took me about three months, four months. And, and I realized like I, I was in like dopamine depletion. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was watching my kids play and I wasn't as excited because I wasn't able to capture the moment with my phone and then post it and get the high. Mm. And I found myself being like, Oh my gosh, like this is kind of gross. Like I'm ready to take a picture to post it or ready to take a video to post it. And since I wasn't, I wasn't as excited. Hmm. And so after a couple months, all of a sudden I found myself like never thinking about taking a picture anymore and just enjoying my kids and playing and doing the thing and, and getting the connection and the high with my kids without the, the background noise of everybody else knowing about it or thinking about it or wanting to see it. And even now, every once in a while, there'll be something and the little seed will go, oh, this would be cool to post. Mm-hmm. And I'll go, why? For what? I'll just text it to the 10 people that, I, that love my kids, that know my kids, that want to see this cool violin thing or this funny joke or this silly face or whatever the thing is they're doing. And so that was kind of my transition. And so for adults, that's what I would say is you can be on there. I'm still on there. I look on it. I love, it. I love seeing other people's stuff. But 90% of it makes me kind of sick to my stomach hmm. or stresses me out or makes me feel not enough mm-hmm. or makes me question some. It's not that the bulk of it is super encouraging and, and happy. Right. Right. So I don't, I, what I do is I just don't get on it. You know, I try, I don't do the scroll. I'll catch myself doing it. Doom spiral. But if I'm not posting, then I'm not going back and looking at some posts and getting caught up in the thing. So right. I'll look at like mental health stuff or jujitsu stuff or stuff that I'm in Dungeons and Dragons, whatever nerdy stuff I'm into. Nice. <laughs> um, but you know, like other than that, you know, I try not to stay on the scroll and look at, go down people's profiles or do any of that kind of stuff that we all kind of get caught up in. So if we're doing that, then we can model for our kids how to use it appropriately. But I think the problem is, is like we have, maybe we haven't ever checked in on how we're using it and why. And so we, if we haven't ever checked in on that and really asked those hard questions, then how are we going to teach our kids to, you know, I did a, a conference where I've done a conference of word of God, first Baptist. I did one in new Iberia this weekend and, and talking to the kids, I'll say, okay, raise your hand. If you have a cell phone, 150 students raising their hand, seventh through 12th grade. I'll say, okay, keep your hand up if you have Instagram. Hand up. Keep your hand up if you have TikTok. Keep your hand up if you have Snapchat, right? I say, okay, keep your hand up if your parents taught you how to use your phone or social media. <laughs> Two people will have their hand up still. I'll watch 145 kids put yeah. their hand down. Hmm. And I, it's appalling to me because we know what's on there. We know the mental health effect it has on us as adults. We know the sketchy, inappropriate you know, things that are on there whether it's pornography or abuse or, I mean, there's stuff that you can get into that's on all of those, those things. Oh, yeah. And so they haven't been taught how to use it at all. Cause it'd be like getting them the keys to the car, right? Yes. <laughs> you go and just figure it out. Right. And so my, my analogy, when people say, well, what do I do? What do you think about social media? It's, well, what did we do with a, a car? You know? Okay. When do you get to drive? Right. Yeah. I well, 
somewhere around 12, you might ride around your, in your dad's driveway or down a dirt road or in a parking lot. Right. And your parents with you and they yell at you and you know, like <laughs> you, you get frustrated and they, they scare you to death because they try to hit the pole in the middle of the parking lot, whatever you're insane. You can't do it. So, um, then at 13 or 14, you practice a little more. And at 15, what happens? Take Amber a has a 15 year old. Yeah. Driver's ed. That's right. That's right. You get your tip card and then you sign up for driver's ed. Exactly. And you get your permit. Yeah. Your learner's permit. And what happens when you have a learner's permit? You get to practice you with an adult, adult with, with you. you. Yes. So you get supervision. The adult rides with you and goes, I'm going to make sure you don't murder everybody <laughs> and yourself. Right? right. And when your kid, then they do that for how long? A year. A year. Right. A whole year, 12 months. And then if they did well and they didn't kill anybody and they didn't kill themselves, they get to go take a test <laughs> that tells you all the safety risk, all the things you do, all the rules, all the laws. And then you get some freedom, you get your license, but then you can only drive until like curfew, 1030, I think is what it is. Right. Right. So you still have some limit. And then when you show that you're mature enough and you hit a certain age, your hands off, you're free to drive and do what you want to do. Right. When people, kids get their license, people say, tell me when your kid gets your license. Cause I'm going to get off the road for a little while. Right? <laughs> right. Why? Because we know kids, even with their license are dangerous because they're right. new. And even then they can't drive an 18 wheeler. There's another level yes. depending on the severity and right. the intensity. And they can't drive and, with their friends. They can right? only have one unlicensed driver in the car. I think it's, I'm, I could be wrong, but yeah, there's yeah. a limit still. That's about to be your world. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Go to the grocery store. <laughs> so my question becomes why? Why do we allow them to have this weapon in their hands? So oh, freely? you want to say a weapon? I mean, that's a great, another great analogy. If you like to shoot, you like to go to the range. It'd be like taking your kid to the range, loading your gun, putting it around in the chamber, and then being like, hey, you don't know anything about the range. Figure this out. Go shoot. <laughs> and hope they don't shoot themselves in the foot or somebody else. Literally. Like right. literally. Yeah. And so that's what we're doing with cell phones is that we, we did not prepare for this, this technology to come in our society. Mm -hmm. Let's take the plane, for example, okay? So the plane the Wright brothers came up with, right? And they, they built it, and what'd they do? They crashed it. And they were like, okay, well, this sucks, so we're gonna, <laughs> you know, we're gonna build a better plane, we're gonna figure out how not to murder a bunch of people and murder ourselves. And so over the course of 50 to 60 years, we created planes that could fly and haul people around without it destroying society. The cell phone went from a smart uh, flip phone, a, a Razor phone, if you're really cool. I yeah. wanted one, right? <laughs> I didn't get one. In 2006. Yep. 2007, everybody still has Razor phones. And in one night, the next day, everybody has an iPhone. Who wants one? Who can afford it? Right. And you couldn't back then. Right. <laughs> they weren't as available. Now right. they've gotten cheaper. And so a year later, the smartphone 2 comes out. They're a little cheaper, a little more available, and more people get it. And what did everybody do with their first phone? Broke it. No, they handed it to their kid. Ah, that too. <laughs> right? I played Snake on my dad's Nokia 5160. Right. But I'm talking about their first iPhone. Right. Yeah. But that's you what I'm saying. That that the, the kid wants to play to and do it. Yeah. Yes. And so for the first time in human history, we have this device that we hand to children that we don't know the consequences of how it's going to affect culture, society, their brain, anything. We didn't test it out. We didn't walk it out. Right? We didn't look at how it was going to do anything. We just handed it off. And we're only seven, eight years into that. And we see the consequences of these kids having it. And so Man. for me, I would rather a parent, you know, if you're going to give a kid a phone, you know, wait until ninth grade for them to get a smartphone, mm. right? They can text, they can call, they can, you know, do all the things they need to do, but waiting till ninth grade. And then if they are going to get a smartphone, then you're to monitor it and watch it and check in on the text messages. They have apps where you can make, make, make your phone a mirror of your kid's phone. Yeah. So the text messages they get will come to your phone. The calls they make will come to your phone. 
they, if you're going to allow them social media, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty insane until 16, but that's a whole nother thing, mm-hmm. you know, you, you should sign in on your phone. Like if they have Instagram and you have a phone, then you should sign into their account. Right. And you should teach them how to message people and, and, and answer messages. You should watch. Did they respond to this spam? Did they respond to this porn spam? Did they respond to this random girl sending them a message? Right? Did they send any pictures that they shouldn't? Are they following anyone they shouldn't? And if they are, hey, let's talk about why you did this and what are you what are you talking about here and why did you respond that way? And let me help you to learn how to communicate like a a minor, not an adult, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so what happens is is that we we just don't do any of that because we don't even know that we're supposed to. Right. And so right now what we have is a society of kids who are seven years into having social media and smartphones who had unsolicited access to the world and other adults and content and adult communication and they can't handle it stuff so amber now that we've said all that we're going to throw you under the bus yeah. <laughs> I'm i think sure. i need to i think i need to have some counseling now what you've done that but what was it like with your kids so what was the decision what did that look like they got phones how old were they what is all that kind of been I'm like i'm sad in your house? to admit that i did not give it um i mean i let them have it i yeah. let them have it when they were little because it was we traveled a lot when they were little, so they could watch videos on an iPad in the back seat, right. and that seemed to help. Um, and then, which I'm not against, by the way. Okay, that's good. Well, my <laughs> point is, is that that's not the problem, right? Yeah, it's the social and yeah, the I'm not again. I'll it. say it until because people's first instinct is to get triggered and be like, "Oh, he's anti whatever." That's I'm like, right. I'm not anti. I let my kids look at videos when we've traveled, but it leads to Clint's the other churn his own of, butter of <laughs> making it. Um, <laughs> you know, they all got, they got to watch the videos in the back seat, yeah. and then it led to. Well, if, you know, what if I just have Instagram and I just have a few friends on there? And how old is that? And you say, no, 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 no. Oh, gosh. I mean, some of her, Georgia's the oldest one, so some of her friends had it fourth and fifth grade. I was going to say, yeah, so the majority of work and Clint shaking his head, you can't see. Yeah, so, I mean, I put it off, put it off, put it off. And I think I let Georgia have it um, into seventh grade. And um, so, but you say, put it off, put it off, put it off. <laughs> that is still so young. And it's but still it is, so long. Because young. then she's the outside kid, right? That there's yeah, a and peer she's pressure that and, she doesn't have it. And I was a, uh, I mean, I looked at it every single day. We yeah. talked about it every single day. Don't talk to strangers. You cannot accept a friend request. It can only be me and Mamie and Papa. And, you know, you make it little, but it's still, they still have access to the whole wide world. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that. They're like, I'm not going to do anything wrong. Why would you think I'm going to do something wrong? You know, right. they feel like if I'm giving my kids I'm the talk. I'm assuming you're bad. They're assuming yeah. that I'm fussing at it. And I'm like, you just don't understand what's on there and how people can lie and be someone else. And you might think you're talking to a sweet 8-year-old friend or 11-year-old kid. And it's really a dirty old man, you <laughs> yeah. know, in a motel sure. somewhere. Well, it's also the, I mean, it's also the assumption. And I, I mean, this might be pushy, but like we have to teach our kids that they are sinners, Mm. Yeah. Like they're not good. Yeah. Like neither am I. <laughs> I'm going to do bad stuff at some point. Right. And the margin for error for our generation or their generation is so small. Mm. Right. What we could have been exposed to or experienced changed the shape, you know, shape the world. Like a magazine, you know, Playboy, a Hustler magazine, a VHS tape at an uncle's house or cousin's house <laughs> one time shaped everything that we sit in right now. Right. Everything we've created in culture was shaped by men and women who were barely exposed to sexual and inappropriate things. What what's this generation going to going to do in 10, 15 years? What are they going to shape when they've been looking at it every single day, all day long? And that's that's my biggest pitch of having these conversations is as the church. How do we take a hard left? Yeah. You know, how do we pair up and go, hey, wait a second. We didn't do this right for the last decade. And now we know. So younger parents, how do we 
scaffold this out longer. It's, it's, you know, really the, the talk is 10 and under is, 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 um, prevention and 10 and over is recovery mm. wow. right now. Right. Yeah. You're having to help people recover. Because the statistics of seeing pornography are younger and younger, right? But eight to eleven is the average first viewing oh, of pornography in our sick. society. Eight <laughs> to eleven years yeah. old. And pornography is not two people having sex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's what it was in the 1980s and 90s. Yeah. Today, it's violence. Ninety-two percent of pornography is extreme violence towards men and women. It's it's not people kissing and making love, right? That's not what kids are watching. Mm. Kids are watching abuse, and I won't get into the graphic details, but things that you would never think that someone would do to another human during sex. Mm -hmm. And then those kids are being aroused by that, and their first exposure to sexuality is is a masturbation to something that is extremely violent and graphic and abusive. Mm. And we're wondering why we're having such a problem with sexuality and violence. And and the reason that is is because it's not because eight-year-olds are going online and looking for hardcore porn. Right. It's because eight-year-olds have access to social media and have access to a phone without parent supervision, and they get messages and bots yeah. and ads and requests. Suggested, yeah. Yeah, and so there's 83% of parents have no rules for devices right now. That's the stat. Hmm. Right? And we know, I know that is actually higher because every talk I do, only two kids keep their hand up <laughs> yeah. when I said, do your, did your parents teach you how to use social media or your phone? Yeah. And they, none of them did. And so that's the same thing as not having any rules. If they didn't teach you how to use it, they're certainly not keeping up with it. Right. And so it's, I think the stat's way higher based on just my polling from every time I go talk somewhere. Yeah. And Amber, I did not mean to imply that that was bad. And just kind of the transition of that did it where oh, <laughs> I'm not no, trying to throw no, you no, under no, the no, bus. It's fine. But I think that is just where a lot of parents are at. So for mine, again, being younger, we have the iPad. They watch stuff, but we download it on the iPad. It's yeah. what they can watch and do it. I, and, I would love to say, though, that we, even when Georgia was – young and five, four and five years old and watching she loved like my little ponies mm-hmm. sure and she and i would just let her watch them because it's my little pony right you know and then one day i saw i was looking over her shoulder and i see the two my little ponies are kissing and it somehow she had gotten onto a thread of where somebody had my little um, pony. messed with yep. the my little pony videos and made them do things mm-hmm. that they shouldn't yep i freaked out i cried and cried and cried and i mean because the language on it was terrible too and yep. but she had no idea it looked like my little pony. just innocent my little pony show that um, happens so much that's ha- the other problem yeah. with, you know people are inserting things into youtube kids they yes. make they make my little pony porn like right. i mean it's crazy that's a huge <laughs> huge trend my little pony <laughs> pornography it's insane wild yeah yeah i mean i about died i want i think i might have even thrown up i was so sick about it because mm-hmm. it's just you know, your innocent Innocence, little baby's watching. Absolutely. And then it's just done. Yeah. Well, and look, so. I mean, and I hope, you know, for parents out there that are listening, it, it is not, I hope that by prefacing all that we preface, it's that it's not that anybody's doing it on purpose or, or being bad parents. It's right. we, don't, we don't know. I mean, and by the grace of God, I would literally be doing the same thing if I just wasn't in this career. Yeah. Right. You know, so I'm just the grace that know it because I'm seeing it in my office and hearing it. And every week I'm going, oh, gosh, more information I'm learning from kids and families. And and so all I'm trying to do is take all of that information that none of us have time to look up. All the podcasts, all the books, all the science, all the things that none of us as parents have time to stop during the day and go, I can listen to 15 podcasts on technology (laughs) and what to do. And I'm just trying to give it out to people and put it on the podcast and talk about it so that parents, instead of feeling shame and frustration, can go, oh, the the answer to these things are very simple. And if they want to deep dive and look, you're helping them to resource and find different Exactly. And then they can vary it depending on their lifestyle and their kids and their their stuff. They don't have to be super hardcore. 
I just want people to move forward and look up in 10 years and be like, man, we put a dent in this. Mm. You know, I want to look at my two boys who are four and seven and say, look, in 10 years, I knew it was going to be this bad and I did everything that I could to make it less bad. Yeah. You know, but I can't know and then go, well, it's, it's awkward or I don't want to make anybody mad or I don't want to see them like the conservative guy or what, cause I'm not, I'm extremely moderate, you know, with yeah. most things in my life, but you have to see that the consequences are not small, you know, and that these kids are legit, we're le- legitimately losing them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. And so and a lot of us take, I mean, for me as a single mom, when we come home in the evening, we've, I've been at work, they've been at school all day and we all just kind of want to go to our corner yeah. and chill. <laughs> so what do we do? We take our device and go to our corner and chill. And then that turns into thir- I'm just going to sit here for 30 minutes. And then that's, oh gosh, I've been sitting on my phone looking at car crashes for an hour. <laughs> that's like my guilty pleasure. I watch, isn't that car weird? Crashes? Not car crashes, but like, um, what's the, I was like, where, you're going to have to explain that. Uh, yeah. You know, like, uh, videos of where, um, dash cam videos. Mm. Oh, okay. I, I get into dash cam videos. I'm <laughs> such a, that is so, random. so cheesy. I, I would know, never have known that. but it pops up on my yeah. phone cause it knows my mm, phone knows what I like. Feeding you. And so I'll just sit there and watch stuff. I'm like, Oh, I got to get up and get going, mm. you know, but also we're pooped at the end of the day and we all just want to relax and chill and we all want to chill on our phone right because it takes more work to not be on your phone you know to to tell them to put their phones away and let's go play a game together let's go do an activity let's go outside and go for a walk i mean that's effort and parents these days are pooped (laughs) and tired especially single mamas absolutely and for a hundred years if that was drugs or alcohol we would be having a major problem with that dependence sure yeah. If we were coming home being like, I got to just have this drink. I got to have well, a couple of them. I mean, them. we I are addicted sit. to technology. Yes, 100%. 100%. And so we say that, but we don't really do anything about it. But we it. don't put it up, put the and bottle up. And as parents, we point at the kids, right? Yes. Most of the time. It's, You're addicted. That's right. You're doing too much. Right. No, I'm addicted as well. <laughs> Me too. No, 100%. You know, I, I feel like um, we have to understand that we we are in control of what our kids consume. And I say this all the time, um, but when you're, you know, right, I mean, parents have a hard time with it because the, the generation now, everybody literally is doing it. Yeah. So your kids like have anxiety and depression from not having it because all their peers do. <laughs> right. Or they have suicidal thoughts, self-harm and all these things if they do have it. Hmm. Right. At some point. Yeah. Um, a large majority of them statistically. And so it's kind of danged if you do, danged if you don't. What I, and so what I want to do is help people understand they can recover from that. They can detox from that. They can do a better job of managing it with some tools. They don't have to throw it out or give it up, but they can help their kids do a better job of recovering. And we can too in our own lives. And then for younger parents, 10 and under, you cannot get into the weeds with it. Right. You can mm-hmm. wait and you can prevent and you can walk it out and you can follow them delay. and monitor them and delay it to a point where now we look around at our peers and we're like, the crazy people are the ones giving their kid a phone at 10. Hmm. And as the church, I can't influence the world. Like none of us can change anybody, but we can certainly have conversations like our kids are little. We can have conversations with our friends, the five or six people that our kids are going to interact with that are going to be everybody when they're 15. Mm-hmm. Right. Get on the and same we can page, say, yeah. Hey, the stats are out. Well, the world's acknowledging this is addiction. This is depression. This is self-harm. This is horrible. I know it's horrible because I use it and it affects me negatively. Like no one can deny that. And so let's get on the same page. Like when we hang out, let's do no devices. Like when we, you come over for dinner yeah. and your kids, our kids are playing, please don't have tablets out. Let's, let's get a board game out. Let's make them go outside. Let's make them go play. Let's get some games for them. Like let's do that. Our kids will know no different. Hmm. My kids never advice. ask for a screen. Yeah. Ever. 
they'll ask to watch TV in the morning when they want to watch one cartoon, or every once in a while when it's the weekend, I'll let them play like 30 or 45 minutes to switch. Now, I say this. Seven out of ten times, eight out of ten times, that's correct. <laughs> I'm not asking anyone to be a perfect parent. Right. I'm certainly not. Sure. I screw it up all the time. But I try to make my right seven or eight out of ten times. And that way, on a weekend or on a whim or when I want to f- have a conversation with my wife for more than three right. seconds, <laughs> right, I'm like, fine, you can play one more episode or you can watch one more episode. You can right. play 30 more minutes to the switch. Right? So, but, but if you do it two or three out of ten times, they don't assume that they're going to get it every time. Yeah. But when you do it three out of ten times, the right thing, then everything's a battle right. for that. They think they're going to get over, oh, and yeah. usually they, they do. Down. Right. Yes. And so my thing is, none of us are perfect. We're all going to screw it up. But I'm asking us to, to tighten that up and be more aware and mindful of. That's like way more that, manageable than thinking I just got to do without it altogether. Yeah, good. Throw yeah. it out. Yeah, because that's, <laughs> that's not the goal. It's just learning yeah. to manage it. And I think most parents are doing the best they can with what they have. And so we just don't want to mess up. You know, we don't, we don't want to do the wrong thing. And so sometimes because we don't know, we don't do anything. Right. And so I'm trying to say, hey, listen, I get that. But here's some things you can do. Here are some things that are real practical mm-hmm. that you can change about how you do technology and change the course of the church and the people in our future. Because it's it, 10 years from now, five years from now, we're going to be in big trouble when these 15-year-olds are 20. Mm-hmm. When these 15-year-olds are 25. And 98% of them by 18 have seen porn. Most of them have, have anxiety. Most of them have depression. Most of them have struggled with, you know, body dysmorphia or something. Well, that's all in this isolated little bubble of teenage years where they're not out in the world. Yeah. Having relationships, working in careers, doing jobs. And I say all the time, your teenagers, people's teenagers are going to be my kids' adults. So I need people to get it together. Hmm. Right? So our little kids, that's yep. their adults. <laughs> like that's going to be their bosses and their... They're pastors and they're leaders and and they're not working on any of it. Yeah, that's right. a big thought. I had Georgia told me the other day uh, that she actually took Instagram off of her phone. And I said, "You did?" She goes, "Yeah, I just I couldn't do it anymore. I, it made me sad, mm-hmm. like looking at all the pictures, scrolling, and it just frustrated her. She felt like she wasn't pretty enough. She felt like she didn't have the right clothes, the right shoes, the right. I mean, she's got." She's a great kid and has all the Absolutely right things right. in the world, and she's beautiful. But she does not feel that way at all because of what she sees on social media, the filters and all that. And, of course, everybody's just putting out their best, you know. So she said, I just had to take it off my phone. I said, I'm so proud of you. And then to myself, I'm like, I can't believe you didn't tell her to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. So I wanted to touch on that. So just the, the kind of three main lies yeah. that social media tells your kid and tells us. Because again, I'm always I'm always coming from the stance of like I do all this too, yeah. Right. So I, I'm not above it. We're not above it as adults. It affects us the same way it affects our kids. We just have developed prefrontal cortexes, so we can right. actually think. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> but they can't. Right. And so we have to realize that however bad it affects us, it's affecting our kids a thousand times. So the first lie is that you're not enough. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I do these talks, and I talk to kids, I have hundreds. I mean, at this point, I've talked to thousands of kids. Um, I'll have teenage girls and I'll, and I always love interacting. I say, okay, how many, I did this weekend. I said, how many times do you take a picture of yourself before you post one? And this, yeah, this weekend <laughs> they said about 20, you know, I said, okay. I said, so we're thinking about how it affects your brain. You're taking pictures of yourself to post for people to like. So you're getting dopamine every time you take one, right? The same level of dopamine that you get from a uh, hit of cocaine, hmm. right? So you're getting addicted and you're telling yourself, 
what when you take when you look at those other 19 pictures mm. and they said i'm not that's not it Ooh, ugly right. i look terrible yeah not that one i said so what you're telling me is 19 times before you post a picture you say i'm unworthy i'm not valuable i'm not enough yep and then you find one that you think is good enough you make your teeth white you edit it yeah <laughs> right and you post it online and if not enough people like it or follow it what do you do we take it down it. and we do it again and so how many times do you do that a day? Four or five. That's a hundred times a day that our teenage girls are telling themselves, I'm unworthy, I'm ugly, I'm not And enough. it's like a full-time job for them. Hmm. I mean, you know, that's what they focus on all day. Right. What do you do a hundred times a day? Right, if I did something a hundred times a day, I'd be an expert. It's a habit, right. I mean, so they're experts at shaming themselves. Experts mm -hmm. neurologically at saying, the truth of God, the gospel is not real, is not true. Like, that's insane to me. And I think Satan is right in there just killing them, going, yep, you're not valid. Look at this girl. Look at this thing. Look at this model. And then you take a model on Instagram who is the physically most gorgeous person who spent $50,000 on Botox and everything else, body just, you know, just Plastic cutting surgery, everything. Yeah. Put, and you, the first comment on Twitter is, you look like you gained weight. <laughs> like, and a 16-year-old's looking at that and thinking. If she's perfect, but somebody thinks she just gained weight. I must be Woo. the worst. It gets me, man. I get, I cry. Every I, I talk about this all the time, and every yeah. time I just feel like mm. so sad for them. Mm -hmm. And so when people hear it superficially as if social media is bad, we go, oh, it's social media. Like, whatever. You're being ridiculous. You just don't know how to manage it or whatever. This is why it's bad. Mm. Right? This kind of stuff we're talking about right now is they cannot handle it, and they're not going to put it down. They're going to, she'll delete it. Mm -hmm. But then they'll want it back and they'll go back for it because it's addictive and it's dopamine. And and then on the so that's the worth. That's the first one, right? Their worth and value. The second one is the highlight reels versus, you know, real life. We've heard that been said before, but if people haven't, it's just, it's curated, right? right. It's, it's all of us uh, taking pictures of ourselves in our best moments, in our best dress with the edited cropped whatever on vacation. But we don't post like the fight we got in the, the <laughs> right before. Yeah. Like, we're all yelling at each other to get our kids to stand straight so we can take this picture and put their, get your finger off your brother's face, you know, quit grabbing him, stop. Say, okay, smile, boom. And then we start, post the picture. My favorite example is infant photography. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You oh, spend we're like, there, we're there right now. Uh, <laughs> I just walk away. I'm like, I can't do this. Bro, like, <laughs> but they come to your house. You spend about 45 minutes of pure hell trying to get this tiny little two week old baby to like, not be cold, not be hot, get the pictures right. And then they crop in, you know, like your baby's hands on its chin and babies can't do that. So they literally just crop the hands underneath your baby's oh, face yeah. as if they're holding their head up. And then we post it online. And everybody's like, that's so cute. And it's so fake. Our six-year-old, when she was born, the first newborns, that my wife got the picture back and hated them so much and was unhappy, we had to go back and do it a second time. She <laughs> wept that the pictures weren't good, and we had to go back and do oh it another time. For sure. Uh -huh. we, it was, it's real. We got lucky. My baby was good at it. There you go. <laughs> he just chilled. Mine was not. Oh, but they yeah. were trying to take pictures the other day. He's six months old with his cousin, which is a year and a half, and trying to get the six-month-old and a year and a half baby to take a picture together. Yeah, that's impossible. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> but you guys realize... Up until 10 years ago, that was never a thing. Never. Like, it came along right when I started, right like, when mine came. When we were kids. The pressure even us, of all that. Yes. Right? Even 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 na digital natives. You got like seven pictures on some Polaroid or some <laughs> like, you know, the little stock photos yeah. of you being a kid and you're just playing. 
Right. You're making stupid candid, faces. They're candid. None of them are yeah, yeah. posed. None of, them, none of them are edited. No. None. Half of them are like blurry and filtered yeah. and the print didn't come out good. You know. I mean, I heard it the other day. Somebody said, how many pictures do you have of you when you were eight? And they're like, I don't know, four. <laughs> right. And they're like, I've got, you know, 18 pictures of my kid just this morning, just right. before we left for school. We would joke and say, my grandma lived to be 90, and there were already more pictures of my two-year-old than it was in her entire life. 100%. Right. So think about it this way. Okay, so, you know, you're, how old are your kids? Six and three. Six and three. Okay. So from one to three... Right, you might take one or two thousand pictures a year. Oh, at least, right? I think my wife has like eight thousand on her phone right now. That's right, right, low. okay, <laughs> right. So by the time they're eighteen, you're gonna have—I can't even tell you—right, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, a hundred and eighty thousand pictures. I just bought a second external hard drive for videos. <laughs> okay, but think about that. When, yeah, in God's name, is anyone gonna be able to look at them? It would it's take you full time job yeah. a year to look through one year worth of pictures. For sure, it's completely pointless. No one's ever going to look at them. But and we it, don't have. But them yet we take them. But I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's so them. crazy. And I've been, um, and I'm just saying, like right now, I have to work really hard to remember to take pictures of our kids. Hmm. Like I have to work really hard to get my. I have to go. You've oh crap! Yourself. I have to work. I have to go, babe. We got to take a picture of this. Well, at least one. And then what we do is we take one or two, and then that's what the picture is. Because what I say to myself is, it ain't going on the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no one's looking at this except for us right. in 10 years. I'm only going to remember we were getting ready for Easter. I don't care. It's not gonna, I'm not going to print it. Lord knows we say we're going to print everything, and we never do. <laughs> right. Or we're going to put it in an album and put it in a drawer that no, we, we never yeah. look and at. And even if you did, we well, you going to print them. Yeah, we're going to print 8,000 pictures. <laughs> no, for sure. But even if you do an album per month, like, right. you know, it's like you're going to have a, my wife would be die to have a shelf full album. Like, she'd be like, get this out of my house. You know, we just clutter it up with this right. stuff. and But we don't stop to actually talk about it hmm. because our world has changed so much in mm -hmm. 10 years that we're just doing these things that are everybody's doing because it's new and it's part of the new world. And yet we're not like comparing like, Oh, what's this going to be like in five years or 10 years? And how's this, how am I actually going to be able to use this? I, the other, it was probably a year ago. I was doing something on my computer and I deleted an entire folder of pictures and I wanted to cry and have a panic attack. And I had to just pray and sit there and go, I was never going to look at those anyway. Like I haven't looked at them yet. My kid's seven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, right. I mean, it hurt I, though in the moment. Yeah, for sure. But my, the, that panic, right. Is, is I think the sin of Adam and Eve is FOMO. Mm. Right. Is that it's the fear of missing out. And that's the third thing that, that this social media does to us is that it, it makes us know too much to where we're so terrified of missing out and we have everything we need. Adam so and true. Because that's why we take the picture. I just got. I got to have a picture of that. I got to yeah. remember that. Yeah. I got to document this. Oh, you look cute. Oh, look at the sun. That look at your hairs. And you know what I mean. Like you think all the time. I just got to take that picture. And that that should point us to heaven. Mm. It should point us to this is telling me that there's a time and a place where I'm going to have all that I need forever, and now is not it. And no matter what I do right now, I'm not going to be able to get it. So I can strive after the now. And, and, and say, I'm going to, I'm going to make heaven now and I'm going to, I'm going to soak up all this stuff. But even if you do, it's not going to work. It's going to be like sand in your hands. It's going to yeah. fall through. You know, I had a brother-in-law who died of brain cancer about eight years ago, I think nine years ago now. And, uh, and we knew he was going to die. So we had about five weeks where he was sober minded to dead. And, uh, and, uh, 
And so I told him every second that I loved him, that I told him things. I hugged him. I kissed his neck. You know, we did all the, I did everything I could possibly do. And when he died, it wasn't enough. Mm. It wasn't enough because it's not over. Like I'm going to see him again and I'm going to, there's more to it. And so there's no way that we can ever do anything through social media or through our phones or through digital works or through parenting that's going to feel like it's enough. Right, and you're talking about appetites. That oh, you're yeah. always looking for that appetite. Yeah, it's never you can't possibly be. collect right. enough. No, you're going to reach. But if the you summit. look at it in the eternity's <laughs> perspective, why would you want to? Yeah. Why would we want to spend all of our time? That's such a good word. We don't need to spend all our time focusing on this right here, right now. No, and your kid's right in front of you. Yeah, no put matter. the phone down and like you hug literally them. Are, are taking a picture of your kid being cute. This is my point. I was taking yeah. a picture of my kids <laughs> doing, and then my wife would be like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, I'm editing this, and then I'm going to write this cute story about it, and then I'm going to post it." And that took me thirty minutes. <laughs> While your kids, while my there. kids are in the background <laughs> playing without their dad. Right. Wow. Like, how many of us do that? Oh yeah. You know, we're at lunch or at dinner, and we're at something. We take people take a picture of their food, and then spend. 20 minutes at the table <laughs> editing it and posting it Not while their friends the sitting across, across them doing the same thing. The thing that gets me is when when people are at concerts or shows or anything oh, and gosh. they just are looking at it through their phone the whole time. I'm like, it's right in front of you. Yeah. We were we got married in Hawaii and I didn't take enough pictures, which I halfway regret, but also like because you you want to remember yeah, it, yeah. but my wife took tons of pictures, so we've got them. But I also remember going, taking a picture of this one peak we were on, and taking a picture and then looking at it, going, "This isn't even close." No. Yeah. Mm. Like this doesn't even explain half of what the, how beautiful this is. Yeah. And it never will. No. Like, and I don't look at other picture, other people's pictures of a mountain they're at and care. Yeah. Like deep down, I don't. I'm like, that looks like a. I could go. I don't need to go on vacation this year. Right. That's how your beach pictures. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Exactly. And yet. <laughs> We're taking it thinking that it's going to do more, right? Mm-hmm. That we're missing out by mm-hmm. not sharing or posting or doing. And and we're adults. Again, I want to go back to these kids. They are so anxious and so depressed because they're getting to see everything that they're missing out on constantly. They see when a, when a group of friends goes to Sonic to get drinks and they weren't invited. Yes. They see the dress that somebody else wore that they didn't wear. Or they look at find my friends 40 times a day to see where they're at. And they literally do it. <laughs> yeah, they like really they, do. They search where their, their friends are they're at and they show up. Constantly. Boyfriends show up with coffee to their broken up with girlfriend because they know she's at work right now. And so they, I mean, it, it, we would call that stalking right? 10 years ago. Yeah. Or so-and-so said she couldn't hang out with me, but she's over at so-and-so's I house. I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and so that, you know, that was the thing. Adam and Eve had everything they needed in the garden that God gave them and, and Satan came in and said, oh, I think there's more. I think, I don't know if he's being trustworthy. I don't know if he really loves you. I don't know if you're going to die. If you, I think if you get this, this more, right. And I think that's so much of, of social media is, is just that feeling that, that I think satanic pull of, and people might call that dramatic, but I, yeah. I don't think there's anything different. I think you either you're, you're serving the King and you're under the King or you're on this side of it. Right. You know, and it, it gets really dark really quick for our kids whenever um, that's not the case. Hmm. Yeah. I remember being a kid. I was very anxious, had a little bit of bullying going on in middle school. And my motto to myself every day was just make it till three. Just make it till three. Mm-hmm. Even as a teacher, that was my motto. Just <laughs> make it till three. But the, because when I got three o'clock came home, I got to go home. And home to me was like base. Like I was safe. I couldn't be touched. I couldn't be bothered. Our kids don't have that at all. There is no safe zone. There home. is no, like, yep. make it till three and I'm away from the um, 
these things that are hurting me or making me feel bad about myself or whatever. It's constant. It's 24 yep. seven. It's, they have it after you've gone to bed and then maybe they wake up and they're still scrolling if you don't take their phone at night, but which you should do. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. it's all the time. Yeah. They, uh, we had, I had these two kids, uh, Nathan Lucas, and if, if they listen to this, it'll be funny. Oh, Nathan Lucas. And he. And they used to turn their rings around and ring pop me, you know, when they were seniors I in high school. I heard you say this story on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, uh, when I went home on the weekends, I never thought about Heath DeVille or Nathan Lucas. Hmm. Right? When I went home in the summer, I never thought about them. But these kids, if they have a bully, if they have somebody they're dealing yep. with, that person is engaging with their identity right their third this third dimensional identity all the time mm. they're talking yeah, you've about now it, brought them into it. their safe space at yes. home yeah so. and so even if they're not even if they're off their phone their phone is being engaged with outside of them yeah. by people and so they know they're aware people are talking about me or engaging with me or my identity and that's the shift we've seen is kids curate and work more on their profile than they do on themselves their character yeah or their their avatar, let's say, right. in yeah. a game. They want to appear. To yeah, and it's like, but man, it, it's not. That's not you. And you spend real money to buy skins. And oh clothes yeah, let's get started on, on gaming. On. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to again, project. yeah, these cultures, know, these uh, these people who create the game, whether it's Fortnite or whatever, they hire psychologists to make it as addictive as possible. They they think about how you think. They think about the dopamine, and they go, "How can we get these kids to do this thing and spend as much money as possible on this thing?" Well, we create an avenue in which there's dopamine being curated where you get more and more. It never satisfies. You have to have another thing. And we give them the availability to choose so they always feel like there's more. There's more levels. There's more skins. There's more guns. And their friends are doing it. So they have to socially, right? It's hanging out, social connection. Right. It's getting Nikes 20 years ago. (laughs) You got to keep up. Yep. You got to have the the right thing. You got to wear the right stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, they can go a whole nother hour on that clip, but I it's flown by. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So I just want to recommend your podcast if parents are looking for more of this. If you enjoyed this conversation, Asking Why is great. I just was listening to one about raising girls. Amber, I'm going to send it to you. It's really good. Good. I want to hear it. Absolutely. Yeah. And raising boys. You just did a couple back yep. to back. So talk about your podcast real quick. Just sure. who it is uh, and what's on it and kind of. Yeah, it's Asking Why with Clint Davis on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbeam or whatever. You can go to our website too, clintdaviscounseling.com, and it's under the podcast tab. Um, you can see our therapist you can see everything that we kind of do in our different locations so if that's in your area but the podcast really is is kind of like this we just try to talk about different topics in the culture um and we try to get to root issues using integration of psychology and, and theology so we you know, when it's, we have Black Lives Matter, trafficking, policing. Uh, Greg, Wal- Greg Walker from Simple Church oh, came yeah. on and we talked about policing and it was a great conversation. Have the edit button ready. That's right. <laughs> uh, no, he did a great job. Uh, but, you know, we... we um, We just try to talk about things in a way that we're not hearing it in culture. Mm. You know, I like to talk about things and then, and then have personal stories. So we'll have therapists come on, professionals come on, and I want to hear their testimony, what God did in their life and, and the whys of what they're doing. And through that kind of look at culture and look at the church and look at how we all are in those stories. Because I think people's stories are the things that are so powerful about it because it's really God's story. And, and, And if you look at it and you ask questions and you ask why you see that the purpose and the meaning is in there and and so that's been really fun and and uh i think we hit fifty thousand downloads last month which was pretty cool cool. we have about 54 55 episodes and so um are there more on the topic we spoke of today 
because we barely scratched the surface. Yeah, there's a there's a I think it's episode twenty seven and twenty eight, and then I just did um, an hour yesterday, so that'll drop tomorrow morning, Friday. So a lot of what we talked about today will be Good. on that one. That's right. Um, but I'll listen to this lot. in the future. So yeah, go back and find it. Exactly. I uh, I um I went through a lot more you know, of, of the social media reasons that we talked about today. So that's awesome. So I'll put links into the show notes in this episode to find that. And then I'm gonna put you on the spot too. I was just thinking of any other resources for me. One of the things we talked about with phones is we have a cell phone contract Mm -hmm. that we would do in student ministry and give parents. I'll put a link on there as a PDF. That's great. And then tech wise family is a book I really like and recommended went through last year, Mm -hmm. talked about some stuff on our parent podcast that we do. So that's one. Do you think anything else that if parents are looking to dive more in or a book or something else? Some good apps. Bark is a really good one. Covenant eyes. Um, those are the two kind of main ones that I think are really good. Uh, Ever Accountable, I think, is another one. And then um, Disney Circle, you can put that on your modem at home or on your phone. It'll shut down things at a certain time, and, and all the phones are on top of, you know, kind of on top of. And then um, Parenting Young Eyes is an app um, that people can uh, protect young eyes. I'm sorry, protect young eyes. It's an app that people can download to have hard conversations. To It'll give you little videos of, hey, talk about sex, talk about these things. And yeah, that's a whole nother. I'd love oh, if you yeah. want me to come back and talk about that. Um, Be carefully saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll bring you back. Because, you know, we're talking about social media, but I really do think social media stuff is a symptom of the problem. And so there's a lot of things in, in the way we've parented as a society or as a church. We don't talk about sexual things. We don't talk about boundaries. We don't talk mm-hmm. about body safety. And uh, so that's the other things that I'm trying to do is, is say, hey, listen, not only is social media a problem, but you have kids walking into social media and highly sexual adult content, and they have no clue developmentally and emotionally how to deal with this, and it's bringing so much shame. Mm-hmm. You know, So the other side of you know phones and social media is little boys and pornography and girls. I mean, now the stats are almost equal of really? girls viewing porn and guys, yeah, because the guys wow. have been watching it for 10 years. And so little girls, teenagers are having to get on there and they'll get on and watch it and go, this is what my boyfriend asked me to do, you know, because he's seen it in pornography and that's his sex ed because we as parents aren't talking about it with our kids. Right. And so they're learning it from their, their peers or they're learning it from online. And so because there's this window now where they can just Google anything or, mm-hmm. you know, I was, me and my wife were in the bed the other night and I was looking at, I can't remember what church's story it was, but it was Valentine's Day. And so the next ad unsolicited was a lingerie ad you know because it's valentine's day so some chick just walking around in nothing but her underwear (laughs) and my wife's like laying next to me i was like see this is what happens when you're a male Mm -hmm. they market to you you know and so it's just there's more to say about that but i think we can do a better job um educating our kids and and dealing with that um and if we do that it, it there's so much prevention in that for our little boys and girls absolutely that's great amber any last thoughts no well, go home I, and I don't want to end on what away. I was about to say, because <laughs> what I was about to say was something Justin had said about pornography and how addictive it is and how mm. someone told him once or that he heard from um, the police officers thing that he was doing. They asked a group of men, if you're addicted to pornography, raise your hand, you know, and so who knows if they raise their hand or not. But he said, the only thing I'm going to ask you to do is swap that addiction for cocaine. Mm hmm. I'd rather you be addicted to cocaine than addicted to pornography because that's how detrimental it is to your mind and how it rewires your brain. So that's a huge, yeah, it's huge a huge deal. It's a major problem. If world. you're a man with a phone and you mm-hmm. say there's not a struggle, it's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have covenant eyes on my stuff and on my laptop and um, because it just is going to come to you. And it's a God-given desire. Sexuality is great. God gave it to us. It's amazing. Right. And it should stir in you that for your spouse, you know, or somebody that you're, you love that you're married to. But it's going to stir in it no matter what. 
I mean, you see a beautiful sunset, you see a thing like it's natural to be stirred in that way, but the access, right. The lack of accountability, the, the affordability, those three A's kind of keep it going and fuel it. And so, um, as adult men, we have a hard time controlling ourselves. Mm. A 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old boy going through, you know, puberty, no chance, no chance at all. And so that's why the stats are so high. And that's, that's going to be the new thing because sex addicts, Right. I work with a lot of sex addicts. I know uh, Lenita was on here last week. Oh, yeah. I don't know if she touched on any CSAT stuff, but, you know, um, we see right now we work with a lot of men who are addicted to sex, who buy prostitutes. And we, we help with that with the hub and, you know, have demand and all that kind of stuff that we do to fight that. But what we're going to see in the future in the next five, 10 years is just porn addiction. Because you're going to have boys who haven't ever had sexual trauma, who haven't been exposed to these horrendous things, but that have had a phone. Yeah. And so they're going to be addicted to it. Um, they've been mentally exposed and yeah, yeah. We're getting off in the weeds. Yeah. I don't know we are exactly. Just to wrap up on that though. The thing I saw a couple of years ago, I think it was interesting was two or three years ago, the teen pregnancy rate dropped right? and it was actually going down, but it's because the pornography is such wow. an increase that yep. there's, why would you go and have to actually interact with a person? Absolutely. You get all those needs met. Just look at it online. Absolutely. It's wild. But yes, that is in the weeds. We would love to have you back. We will definitely figure that out. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, man. If you're a parent, you. just take a deep breath. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> figure it out. Okay. It is going to be okay. We try to help and listen to stuff like this. Check out Clint's podcast and want to resource and be there for you because none of us can do it alone. And I love the idea you talked about doing it as a group and talking with your friends and other parents and send this podcast to them listen talk about it have a discussion it'd be great and clint thanks so much for your time absolutely man i I just want to say lastly just you know that hope that that we have our hope in christ and that he is not unaware of all these things and so any family anybody out there who's struggling or who feels overwhelmed like run to him run to your community and he will work this stuff out he he is not surprised that's That's a good word good note to end on thanks clint yeah man